Good evening, listeners. Or good morning. Or bad afternoon. Or traumatic middle of the night. It's really none of our business what time you listen to your podcasts. And after all, what is time? Except things happening. Horrible things. And speaking of horrible things, Joseph Chance and I thought that while we're on hiatus from our main output, we might have a little chat about the delights currently available for our Patreon subscribers. This episode will include a few clips from the bonus actual plays and other audio content already there, as well as a little tease of something coming up later in the year. But I started by asking Joseph about some of the written content he's provided for our supporters. And you've been writing a few posts under the title Tales from the End Times. I think it's always good to sort of talk about what's currently in the mix because there's always a conversation going on between the four of us, isn't there, about what we want to play next and how we define that. And and we've increasingly wanted to involve other people who listen to us and say, hey, you know, this is what we like playing. Interested? Have a conversation? Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it's nice to connect that to a sort of bigger thought about where the hobby is taking us, uh, where the performances are leading us. Uh, and certainly I've been interested in kind of throwing some of those thoughts out there into the ether and seeing, seeing what they can uh, inspire in us and in me as a GM and, and as a player and, and as a, uh, an amateur historian, I suppose. Uh, so... I, yeah, the tales from the end times just felt like it was. Uh, it felt like it was a natural thing to write, um, and perhaps may develop uh, further. Yeah, you wrote a, a lovely piece, kind of inspired by a game of Bleak Prospect, uh, which is from uh, Nameless Horrors by the uh, good friends of Jackson Elias guys. Mm, yeah, the excellent Scott Dawood. But that was such a lovely bit of writing, taking us on a journey through sort of uh, dust bowl literary influences and things like that. I love the way that the Lovecraftian tale can expand to encompass that. That's just, that's, that's one of its, its great things. Is it, 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 it's so dense and rich with, with history. Partly because time travel is terrifying. Uh, and, and so if you can kind of tap into a bit of time travel. Um, so, but the Bleak Prospect one, I mean, what a great scenario for a start and and has inspired us to want to head into the nameless horrors more yes yeah and completely unique that scenario as well yeah but also then it sort of it made me then go off and find another scenario which is only recently written in the workshops that chaos seem have been doing on the miskatonic repository i then found another dust bowl scenario ah okay so not completely unique <laughs> but, but bleak prospect is completely unique because it deals with a much more close to the urban environment, whereas the one that has been re- released recently in Miskatonic Repository, uh, the uh, the Black Trees of Cold Springs, that is that's a really juicy piece, and it's come from this uh, workshop. So it's we're we're trying to mix established with with the new, and of course I just I talk about it, I tease it, I suppose because I'd love to play it with you guys. And so it's that sort of it's that extra level of connection to what we're currently currently talking about what we're into. 
you touched on the horror of history and we can we can talk about that a bit more when we maybe come on to our out of the eons scenario seeds but thinking about the the audio content we've got on there the first thing that we put out was a, a season debrief of our first season our first season being uh cracks and crook mance all hallows tide a machine tractor station Kharkov 37 and a christmas inheritance it was great wasn't it to sit down and just like the four of us pretend we were in the pub the virtual pub and go back over those games some of which we'd played like a year previously how did you find that looking back over games that we played a year before well it's it's unique that's what it is it's i don't know another format where you will get to play with each other I mean, it's like, like maybe sport does it to a certain extent where you talk about the match. Um, but it's a sort of unique thing where it feels like there's a connection that you still want to just kind of go through what actually happened in that telling. Uh, and because you know you're never going to do it again in the same way ever. So it's not like doing a play. It's not even like doing a film. It's not like doing you know, like maybe take by take. But it's just not the same as anything else that I that I get to do. So it's really nice to be able to have that moment. There's interestingly, my next tales from the end times uh, is going to be talking about some some independent games that have come across our radar, including such joys as Troika, uh, which you've you've uh, played with a couple of us. Um, but also a game called Trophy and a game called Cairn. This game, Trophy, deals with it within game, where they, they let you talk about your stars and and your wishes at the end. And I found it oddly formalized, because I've always been used to doing it in a gaming context, where you go like, well, how was that for you? <laughs> uh, um, and, and weirdly, what you do is you sort of learn, oh, there are things that I wish I could have done. Uh, like I, I, I wish I stayed stayed alive just that little bit longer, <laughs> so that I could have seen that with that character. Because that, um, but then sort of the star idea would be the sort of the idea of like, oh, that was my favourite bit. I just loved it when you sort of ran in with guns blazing. So I, I, I feel like it's not going to be for everyone. I mean, we all know that what we want is yet another glorious episode. But I do think sometimes taking stock is part of that. Well, maybe it's part of that community thing. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting for me because there were so many questions that I still had at the end of uh, all, all of those scenarios, really. <laughs> yes, always left with more questions. Especially a Christmas inheritance. I mean, you know, Dannon led us on a merry dance, as he has done again in Residence at the Bay. So it was it was really nice to be able to say, yeah, what, what really was going on? And uh, have some of those questions answered, at least. We're going to play a little clip of that now. Obviously, you're all listening to our output in chronological order, because to do otherwise would be madness. But in case any of you are mad, you might want to skip ahead by about three minutes to avoid some rather major spoilers for A Christmas Inheritance. With M.R. James, sometimes the joy is just touching on the truth and not really getting the full picture, because as soon as you've got the full picture... It's, it's sort of not scary anymore. You sort of know what you're dealing with. So actually, there's something quite perfect about the fact that you didn't connect all the all the lines. And, you know, like, it's not a failure of uh, playing. If anything, it would be a failure of hosting or DMing. But I don't think it was. I think it worked out really well. There were certain things, like, the one thing maybe that I wish I'd sort of pushed you to realise or pushed you to discover, which is on me, was the fact that these uh, ceremonies have been going on for years these sacrifices 
and the whole point of the folly uh, basically the idea was that the, the folly they'd hire in a hermit or two to dress as a monk every year like like rich folks used to do you know they'd get some poor transient bastard dress him as a monk and basically go we'll feed you but you just hang out in that labyrinth so that when we have our friends around we can just go there's our little monk uh, living in the maze you know that's genuinely what used to happen whereas in this story the, the idea is they do that and then every year they sacrifice them at Christmas um, and it's part of this ritual that has kept William Perdue young over hundreds of years um, but also a side effect of that that he didn't anticipate is that uh, is that um, the monks basically come back as revenants so like the things in the maze are these basically this these decayed monks that have had their weird weasel people weird weasel people because they've had their elbows and knees broken <laughs> and their throats slit so they sort of like they run on the ground like weasels with their arms and legs bent the wrong way so much worse than them just being giant weasels and the, the whole thing about like your lanterns being covered in holly and there being holly around the edge of the maze was because obviously in, in the olden days holly was considered a thing witches and demons couldn't pass so like farmers would plant the edges of their fields with holly to stop the witches running across the hedgerows The Hollywood rumour mill says that there will be a third instalment. The concluding part of the trilogy? Unless he pays us a lot of money, it's going to be the concluding part. Nine parts later, yeah, I like it. And also, though, it, one game will be consisting entirely of nine-year-old children as our uh, NPCs. We've got to fight fire with fire. We just have to play nine-year-olds as... Uh... Oh, now there's an idea. M.R. James, from the perspective of the children. There is a short story, I seem to remember, involving a gold coin. He'd know, you see. He would He would know what that title was. Yeah. That brings me on to Unland. Although, actually, what we should go to first is the, the scenario that sort of inspired Unland, inspired us to play Unland, which was Spillsbury 9485. It was the first time all four of us had met together in person. I think it was the first time you'd ever met Danan. I'd never seen Danan in real life. But luckily we went to the theatre beforehand, and we then involved that in the actual playthrough masterfully helmed by yourself reincorporation 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 right yeah well desperate grounding in the real i think (laughs) maybe that's it but so we we played spillsbury 9485 in a hotel room in reading on a single mic we began the game quite late at night quite drunk well i mean not a great place to start (laughs) And, and yet and the magic was found it was a fantastic night it was like a site-specific piece of uh, theatre RPG improv. Yes, because we set the game in the hotel room that we were in. Yeah. So it was the closest we've come to LARPing. Well, apart I mean, not the closest you've come to LARPing. My dark LARP passed. But the closest the Apocalypse players have come to LARPing so far. I'd go back again, Dan. I'd go back to the LARPing. I would. No, but I should ask you a question about it. How, how did you find that scenario? Where did you find it? Well, I found that in a fantastic collection called Fear's Sharp Little Needles. And I think I think Dom recommended that I buy that, but he he maybe only knew a couple of the scenarios. Are they all modern? They are all modern, and it's about 20 scenarios, I think. Is it as many as that? And the, and the, and the collection good is... Good bang for your buck, eh? Yeah, yeah, r- really good value. And they are uh, all fantastic. All the ones I've read are fantastic. 
And I was looking for something, specifically looking for something that we could play uh, when we when we were together. And some of them are longer than others. Spilsbury 9485 is, it's by, uh, I can remember his name, Adam Gauntlet. Oh, good name. A fantastic name. And it's like a really rich scenario seed is how I would put it. It gives you lots of different options on how to involve the characters. And it gives you a really juicy uh, sort of MacGuffin, but it, it, it doesn't really go through it sort of blow by blow. So that's kind of for the, for the keeper to sort of invent. And there are no, you know, pre-gens. So it, it gave me a lot, a lot of free reign and I could move it from the location where it's set into a hotel room quite easily. There's no way they can pin us on it. There's nothing we can do to stop them trying to, but there's nothing they can do to pin it on us. But if it is someone here, they could be outside the door right now. Well, I'll look through the peephole. Well, you can, but... I'm already out. They'll be in the fucking lift or something. They'll pin realize. us before we leave the hotel. I get you, I get you. I didn't even realise it was a woman. Holy fuck, holy fuck. These people have no... Did you say you were at the peephole? Yeah. Are you at the peephole? Mm, yeah. I'm going over there. Okay. So as you look through the peephole... Oh no. It looks a little bit like. I get nervous looking through people's. It looks a little bit like someone's just passed. I I shove the towel in my mouth. Staff or guest? I don't know, they just walk past the door. It's an Ibis on a Monday night. Who the fuck else would be here except us and the serial killer? (laughs) (laughs) Great, you All I know is that someone walked past the door. Did I see anything else to go to determine anything else? I cut you off. Didn't you didn't even see someone walk past the door. You just saw like something like go across your field of vision, basically. Something went across my field of vision. I tell you what, should I just open the door and crack it? No, 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 no. Just stay here. Just don't do anything. Either of you, don't chill the fuck out. Let's just everybody take really a need to take that dump in a minute. Have you looked in this documents case yet? Yeah, I'm going to be like trying to flick through them. Well, give me a spot hidden because the documents case appears to be empty. Oh, shite. Well, I'm going to look at it thoroughly. Mm-hmm. So, 23 on a 65. That's fantastic. So, you realise, you, you start taking all the drawers out and taking all the boxes out, examining them, and glued to the bottom of the documents case is like... Um, I'll show you exactly what's glued to the bottom. Oh, shit. I think it's I think it's really fun. Very different. I mean it's got Dominic Allen performing post show on the high of his own actual physical performance doing a, a theatre piece earlier in the <laughs> playing his I think playing his own agent, possibly. Yeah, and then and of course being so close to the work. So I mean it, it's intimidating when you get one of Dom's characters attempting to sort of take the plot off and run away with it and into the streets of Reading. Mm. Uh, which is what a, a couple of and I was I was playing his um, one of his clients, mm. so I, I felt like oh my goodness this could go anywhere. Even though, but by contrast, we were trapped in this physical literal hotel room, yeah. both as the players and the characters, and it was hot, so, <laughs> and it was really hot. We had all this Danan cheese, was sweating. Yeah, Danan was very hot, <laughs> and and it was ex- it was extremely exciting. And and then you allowed uh, this was a great example of good GMing. I felt was you allowed. Dan and go off for his filthy habit of going for a cigarette, how much we disapprove. But at the same time, it, it, it gave him a chance to break out, come back with more, and also us uh, to therefore have a different kind of scene. It's, it's got a lot in it. It was perfect because you were a little double act and then he was a sort of lone wolf. 
Um, and it just happened to be the characters that we'd chosen, right? It, as I say, it was, you know, the closest that we've come to, to laughing. I'm going to turn the box over. There must be a catch. There you must can't be a catch. turn it over. It's, it's huge. Help heavy. me turn this over. I will reluctantly, but I will, instructed by my agent, I will okay. try to help him look at the bottom because we haven't looked at the bottom. Yet. Okay. Uh, well, it's now empty, so between you, give me, give me a, a strength roll, and if either of you succeed, then you've managed it. Oh, no. No. <laughs> I'm going to push the roll. I'm going to push the roll. How are you going to do it? I am going to push the roll. I squat down, mm-hmm. bearing in mind I do still need a shit, <laughs> and I brace myself. You don't need a shit. No, no. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a deep role playing. Um, and now doing a deep squat. Oh. And I, I get, my, I get my, my hands right underneath it. So if I drop it, it's, gonna, it's probably going to hurt my hands. The trunk, right? You're going to get yeah. right underneath the trunk, nothing else. No, you're yeah. going right underneath. Right underneath the trunk. I get my hands, yeah, I get my hands underneath the trunk. I just go into a deep squat and I brace against the wall. And I, with all my strength, I try to flip it. And I fail by four <laughs> points. That... Uh, then led me to run Unland for you and Dannon. Uh, Dom, had, Dom had already played that, or at least read it. I think he'd read it. That's by the fantastic Scott Dorwood, of course. And it's it's an amazing scenario. I think it uh, it's it's it definitely stands alone. It's you know uh, more than just one of a, a collection of modern scenarios. That's on a, the main podcast, so we don't need to talk too much about that, um, except to say that there is some bonus content for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. On the Patreon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, obviously, uh, spoiler for anyone who hasn't listened to that yet. Spoiler coming up <laughs> in five, four, three, two, one. You proposed halfway through that game that we should stop and then go on a game within a game and play a, a D&D mini campaign <laughs> with with Dannon as GM. He was the right guy to be the GM, right? He was the right guy to be the GM. Um, and so then we we did. We played this D&D session, which I think in my head, I was like, oh, we'll just be, we'll just do like an hour long and it'll we'll pop it in as a sort of little bit of flavour. <laughs> Two long sessions uh. with, uh, with Lily Marion, of course. Introducing, 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 introducing Lily Marin, um, and it was too much to include on the main podcast because we felt like it was a too long a diversion from the main storyline. But uh, there was so much again that we we felt like some people might want to hear more. So there's a sort of extended version of that D and D side quest on the Patreon with a sort of prologue and an epilogue. So if you want to hear that story concluded. The Patreon is, is where you can find it. Is it me? Okay. All right. So I get my staff. I've got it out and I, I roar as well. I go, for the lava groups. And then I I hit the staff down and it, it returns, doesn't it? Like a boomerang. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so you're you're throwing your your staff? Yeah. Hang on, I thought it was your I hammer. It was your hammer that returned. Your, your hammer that had the uh, returning rune. Oh what? <laughs> oh maybe I threw one of them. It's all right, Jojo. Don't worry. I think you guys are just playing with me so, now. So Jojo, you throw your staff and it just goes into trees. You're like, oh, <laughs> I'm just throwing my staff. <laughs> <laughs>
JJ, why do you do that? We've all been That's there. so stupid. <laughs> no, you can't cast any spells. <laughs> you yeah. guys have mixed it up. No, no, no. That was the rules. That was the you rules. You just so thrown your magic wand away. You threw your magic wand into the... <laughs> and I like to think it has that similar sort of dovetailing and sense of poignancy where it informs on the narrative of Unland in the same way that I would say something like Better Call Saul informs... <laughs> <laughs> on the narrative of Breaking Bad. Do you know what I mean? It's it's mm. got that sort of Okay, maybe not yeah. maybe not quite as brilliant as that. But but, but make but, it sound quite grand. But I was trying to but think no, they speak to each other. I was they, they do. There's a communication between the two of them and I think that's what we loved doing it. And it gave it 100%. We, weirdly, it gave it something so much more than I would normally experience from playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Um I mean, I know, you know, we, the four of us as as the founding Apocalypse players, um, we, you know, we all have different relationships with the world's most popular role-playing game. Uh, uh, Dominic obviously will only ever play it again in third edition because he's unique. Um, uh, th- have I got that right? Third edition, yeah. Th- third edition, I think, I think is, is, is his favourite, uh, particularly the one where he gets to play as vile, miscreant, demonic sub-orcs. Apparently there yep. was a whole thing. Anyway. Um, yeah, but it's, so, so there was, I think there was a touch of all of us sort of working with this thing that was the classic, mm. but we all knew we were off to one side of it because we still had this connection to Unland. And I think that gave us so much more. Weirdly, yeah, I mean, weirdly it was a great exercise in actually that really informed my character so much. Yes. Yeah. And for listeners who who really got into Unland, I think it's worth listening to the the concluding part of that of that D&D side quest. I feel like desperate times call for desperate measures, and I would like to attempt to animate the dead. Oh, bloody hell. So I draw a, a reach a reach within my robes and I find what level am I? Five, and I find five small beetles and I hold them in my hand and I hold up my hand to Kelimvor and I say Kelimvor forgive me a soul for a soul accept these for these and I crush the beetles the five beetles within my hand oh hello and I bring to life five dwarf corpses fallen dwarven warriors and I feel this pain run through me as I know that Kelimvor abhors the undead and I have, cru- I have committed sacrilege, but I have gifted him five souls with the beetles. Yeah. And surely these dwarves will soon return to him as well. I wonder why you had that beetle farm on you. Yeah, that's why. So those were sort of some slightly unusual, uh, maybe more experimental bits of content that we thought would suit the Patreon, but we've got a couple of complete actual play scenarios on there. The first being Death Before Burial, which is a game that Dom ran for me and our friend Simon Mader. He ran that with um, Pulp Rules, and it is a scenario from Reckoning of the Dead, by, uh, which is a collection of scenarios uh, and more from uh, Noah Lloyd and Matt Ryan. And actually, that inspired me to go and look at a few more of those and 
I'm running another one from that collection at the moment, uh, but I'll keep that under wraps because that probably will make an appearance at some point on the podcast. Mm, mysteries. Yeah, but uh, Death Before Burial was, uh, I think I think Dom had a lot of fun um, expanding on their, uh, their, their scenario or scenario seed. And it's one of those things, isn't it, where you, the two of you are discovering so much from such a unique position. You, you're thrust into the action immediately. That's so lightless beacon we've played on the main podcast, which is what which is designed to thrust you into the action immediately. Uh, this one does a similar thing, but in a very different uh, plot context. And what's good about listening to to it, therefore, is you is you get into this world of going, oh my goodness, I don't actually know what th- this place really is serving as a purpose but these two are going to find out because they they have to go through it i don't want to say any more than that but it's very exciting (laughs) what else can i see anything else in in the room there's these organs in jars there's some surgical equipment there's a bare light bulb in the ceiling okay but there doesn't seem to be a switch that you can see can i is there any is there one of the surgical equipment is there anything sharp there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say there's a there's a scalpel. Yeah, I'll grab a scalpel. Okay. And I'll head for the door. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll try the handle. Um, it it appears to be locked. Okay. I am going to try and rip the door open. <laughs> <laughs> Just off its hinges. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a, give me a strength roll. <laughs> That is a hard success. Fantastic. So you 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 just grip the door. Grip on its hinges. Yeah, you 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 rip the door off its hinges. I think probably De Quincey, you probably hear this. You hear somewhere in the corridor outside this this echoing noise of metal being rent apart. The voice pipes up again. Hello, is someone there? Hello, help. Uh, are you a friend or a foe? Oh, I'm, I'm I'm very much a friend, a friend of all men, a friend of all humanity. What's happening? What's happening out there? And then currently the uh, the last actual play that we've got on there, depending on when this goes out, uh, it may be halfway through or maybe sort of complete, is uh, Night of the Hogmen from Teeth by Marsh Davies and Jim Rossignol. Hope I pronounced their names correctly, which is really fun. We love Call of Cthulhu, and I think we will always, always come back to it. But every now and again, it's really fun to play something completely different and uh, non-investigative, and just sort of uh, wild. And and Teeth, which is their um, upcoming game, of which this is you know, like a flagship one shot, isn't it? Like a teaser module, I guess. Yeah, yeah, nice, uh, and that's um, it's it's using a it's using an adaptation of the Forged in the Dark engine, isn't it? So it's the the system exactly. the yeah. system's very well tested, clearly, um, and and their tweaks seem very well chosen. It felt like a really immediate pickup. We we did it in in the one the one night. Not always easy for us to achieve that. Yeah, with four players as well, because we had a special guest. Uh, the one, the wonderful Felix Hayes. A terrific performance by Felix Hayes, and you know, it, it, it was one of those things where you said to us, 
don't look into it. Don't don't know anything. So in some ways, it's weird to kind of talk about it now. But, but once you've played it, all you want to do is go, oh, you've got to play this. You've got to play it. It's so it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. That's true. The listeners will know more about it than you did when you began playing it. Because you didn't even know we were playing Knight of the Hogmen. I said, we're going to play this scenario from Teeth. Don't look into it at all. And you only found out it was Knight of the Hogmen when the Hogmen appeared. <laughs> so a six, a five and a three. A success. Lovely. So you managed to you managed to heave this coachman out. And he goes, oh, ah, my hip, my hip shattered. There's no time. We have a doctor. We must move. He can't, he can't walk unaided. Oh, useless man. Lean on me, old friend, new friend. Who's, uh, who's, who is the doctor? I say. Good Lord, man, I thought you were. Oh. Oh, I can see why I've given you that impression. Yes. Reaching inside women and all that. Is it this point that I want to introduce you to two clocks? The Hogstorm Proximity Clock <laughs> and the Hog Siege Preparedness Clock. <laughs> I love it. Great metal albums. The Night of the Hogmen! <laughs> so you've spent quite a while getting this coachman out of the coach. So I'm filling in one segment of the Hogstorm Proximity Clock. How dare you? It's very subjective. That was a very subjective decision. Um, how many segments has that got? It has eight segments. Ah. Uh. When this one is full, the hogmen are upon you. Okay. <laughs> However, this one, the hog siege preparedness clock, when the moment comes, this is how prepared you are. And because you've just recruited an ally and you notice he's armed with a pistol, he may be limping, but he's another man to help you. So I'm filling in one segment of the Hog Siege preparedness clock as well. Okay. This seems a fair trade-off. Old chap, either you'll recover very swiftly with some uh, some tincture of opium, or uh, we can ease your passing with perhaps some tincture of opium. Uh, any, anything but the Hogmen. The Hogmen are coming. The Hogmen are coming. Yes, yes. Uh, why don't you have some opium and you'll feel better... <laughs> I might have some as well, actually. They still talk of Hogman's, really. Got my nerves jangled. Horrifying, Reverend, horrifying. Bra- bravo, Mr Strong, bravo. I was quite a rider in my day, uh, my lady. And um, um, do, you, do you think we could calm this horse together, you and I? I was wondering if, if that might be a possibility, uh, the horse. Do you have anything upon you that might assist us? Uh, how panicky is the horse? I'm going to say one of them is really, really, uh, like sort of panicky and it looks like maybe it's hurt one of its legs because it keeps going down. Uh, there is one horse that is wide-eyed and panicky but looks like it's unhurt. Uh, I sometimes have a way with horses and creatures of the earth. I, I could I could perhaps speak, speak, speak with it for a moment to see if I could calm it and, and see if I... How it... Like, is it tangled? in terms of reins and tack and all that kind of stuff? Not massively so, no. Does it look possible that I could detach it from its fellow? Yeah, in theory, yeah. Uh, what would we think this is? We think this is a... Maybe this is a will, because you're trying to command a horse. Okay. Very good. I'm quite shit at will. You're quite shit at will? Yeah. 
I think I, I think the, I look the Reverend up and down and I say, well, I suppose I could try to assist you. Oh. I too have spent some time around horses, as I said to Mr. Trode, and we have very little time before those bastard hog things arrive upon us. So we must act swiftly here, and I take out a crispy, shiny red apple. Ah, of course. Where? From my bag. And I say, this might work. Ah, woman. And I stride over with great confidence, pushing the reverend to one side. And I, I think about Eve. I think there's something about the way in which the pre-generated characters work, which is so delicious. Um, so it's this really nice balance between some decisions that have been made for you and then a nice mechanic whereby you can choose items that you have, but you're only allowed so many to choose, and they can make a big difference because it's such a narrative game. Uh, D6-based game, of course, but it's... It, and those mechanics are important. You know, you don't lose the dice. Some storytelling games, it, it, it's sort of like the dice are barely there. It's a perfect mix for me, this one of just really lovely narrative and really lovely mechanics. It's so well written because it's so short. It's, I think the whole the whole thing is, I don't know, 20, 30 pages or something. And yet every little uh, interaction that's written or every character has, you know, one or two sentences that make you think, Oh, I think I know how I can play this character, or oh, I think I think I know how we can have fun with this. And it, and they pose questions as well. I love I love a a game designer who poses questions to the keeper or the GM. You know, oh, I wonder I wonder what he has in his bag? Question mark. And you're like, okay, right, that's going to be fun. Yes, setting up an opportunity to imagine, um, and and also it's almost counterpoint to that. They deliberately do go for quite an unusual period of history. Mm. You, you don't get many games that deal with the 18th century. And they've made a very specific pitch for that, and I really admire them for that. And I think they're a really interesting duo to watch. Great artwork as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, and that's um, Marsh, isn't it? He's illustrating it. And and when you then showed us it at the end, I did go, oh, yeah, that's, that's exactly... It fits. And, and that's always nice when your imagination starts to connect to something... It's really, really stark, but it's got a sense of humour, as you say. Can't wait for more from them. Yeah, well, we, I think we're going to be playing. We're going to be playing more of their stuff, aren't we? Yeah. And you, you mentioned that period of history. That perhaps brings us on nicely to the scenario seeds we've been writing and putting out. You and me, and I think the others are tinkering away at uh, some scenario seeds themselves. But this was entirely your idea. The the outer. Well, we we found. The name together, the Out of the Eons scenarios using the arcane horology. You say it was entirely my idea. It's I, like we're all writing stuff, and I was trying to think how can we get this, how, how can we get this to the apocalypse players, um, when of course there's all this great stuff which is play tested and tried, and some wonderful writers. You know, like, so we've been talking just there about Rossignol, Lloyd. Uh, we've got Doorwood. These are, all, these are all people who've really landed stuff for us. And also, um, I, I, there's stuff that we haven't yet played as well. It's like, I, I really want to get to Joe Trier's. Yeah, Lights Out. Yeah. yeah all this kind of stuff. So like, we haven't got round to some juicy bit. And then I was thinking, yeah, but we were all writing as well. And so then it was partly inspired by your Mexican journey, which will never be heard by anyone because we played it before we were recording. I'll have to play. I'll have to find some some other idiots to play it with. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll <laughs> you'll have to find some some willing stooges, some willing victims. I mean, it's definitely potential. It's definitely potential for the for the high end Patreon crowd. I'd say uh, it was partly inspired by that stuff, where I kind of went, oh, you know, you you were toying with some real figures from history, and it's a thing that they used to do in scenarios a, a bit more. And I can understand why they've they've swerved away from it because there is something about the individual's experience which is you know unique in history and and also the fact that you can imprint yourself on them as the player character you don't you don't necessarily want to have the burden of being a good historian nobody wants that as a player or as a gm really it's like uh, look at us with the way we talk about how do you start a car in the 1920s <laughs> in the 1920s and also my it's like you're going to do that clearly as an article for us yes and i'm going to do torches and batteries in in the 1920s oh, very good because I, I just don't understand how they work i just don't i don't understand how a wind-up torch works we should do one of phone boxes as well oh don't even oh wow wow no but to answer your question there's something about history that i find both alienating and a little bit terrifying <laughs> and deeply comforting by way of human experience because <laughs> i sort of go ah, oh, but we're sort of the same we were sort of the same. We can talk as much as we like about different perspectives within the period, but you'll find some piece of literature that will make you feel, or some piece of art, or even just a, a fascinating object in a, in a museum, which would usually be a craft that involved, like a bowl. And you'll go, no, but we are the same. We're the same as those people. And there's something that I find really good for horror about that. <laughs> because you can go, ah, we're just human beings, and we're all facing the same cosmic weirdness. But at the same time, I'm already having to cast my imagination back into whenever it is. I mean, the, the 18th century. By the way, I've just realised what you were classically asking me was saying, what is, the, what is the process? And the process is the arcane horology. Mm. I just waxed lyrical about being inspired about history. No, that's equally important. But, you know, I think they, they walk hand in hand. We're calling them scenario seeds, but I think they're kind of like mini scenarios, really, sort of two, three pages. So we've got a couple each up there now. Can we can we talk about what yeah events they're based on? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we can, that, can't we? That, that's that's not, if I can remember them. Yeah, that's not a spoiler. So your first one is called uh, the Battle of Frankenhausen. Is is the first one? I, I, there'll, there'll be a thread here that will we'll begin to reveal our, our <laughs> political tendencies, our, our political tendencies and inclinations. <laughs> so I, I th there is this thing that um, Frankenhausen and the peasants uh, uprising in in Germany. The People's Uprising, perhaps we should say. We'll always have a very close place in my heart because of the book Q mm. by Luther Blissett. And so then, mm -hmm. so I, 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 what we do is we investigate the horology by finding more about the event. And then, of course, we reveal the true events, don't we, Dan? Mm, we reveal the, the truths. Because, of course, history is written by the winners and there are some dark secrets. Yeah, and in this case... The, the winners would were definitely the prince and his uh, noble cronies. I mean, his uh, noble followers. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the British have had, uh, well, that is to say, the, the English, Welsh and Scottish back in those days had their uprisings um, crushed by kings. But this was a later one and it, and it was connected to um, religious movements. And so it was ripe with sort of esoteric alchemical questions. And I could sort of see this connection to something that was a little bit otherworldly, which I think is, you know, it, it, as game writers, you know, it depends what 
what gets you going. If the history might be the juice, and then you'll throw in the supernatural on top. But sometimes it's the supernatural thread that inspires you, and then you go, how can I fit that into a historical period? But I mean, ultimately, if you then get the random date, you just have this perfect opportunity to look through on the whatever it was of June. Well, that one that one was a real challenge because there was nothing that sort of jumped out at me that was, uh, you know, this, oh, this is obvious. And I picked the creation of the Commission for Imperial War Graves. I think that's what it's called. It changed names and I may have mashed up both names, which isn't in of itself a particularly interesting uh, moment in history. Well, it probably is to some people. But yeah, um, that, that was the date that the arcane horology revealed to me and I discovered a, a, a little scenario based around that date. And then we've got two more, one of which is... Lockery's Irregulars, based on a piece of um, North American War of Independence, uh, a, a battle. And I was sort of, I was seeing a connection potentially between the Frankenhausen one, because again, the same group of Italian novelists had written stuff about it. But, you know, so I think... In that one, it was very much a case of I was similarly going, I'm not sure what really cries out to me here. And then I, I found this unusual little footnote of the, of the, of the battles of North America, of the, of the colonists trying to be free of, of British imperial might and taxation and their sense of loyalty and the conflict there. And also uh, Native American allies who'd been manipulated into fighting for the British, uh, but had since developed deep loyalty to the cause of fighting for the British. So it's like, it was a really charged one that in terms of what you want to sort of get your players to feel is the right thing. Uh, which is often where history gets so interesting. You kind of go like, well, well, who's in the right here? Sometimes it's just about surviving and telling the story. And so I, as an investigator, because I always like to think of it in the sort of the perspective of like, if this is a classic investigator's role, what's the best way to proceed? And so I wanted a moral dilemma, but also a little bit like I was saying in terms of um, starting, you know, very f flat and just going, right, we're in. Uh, like the lightless beacon uh, and things like that. I just wanted immediately, you're in the end of a battle and you're about to be taken prisoner and you escape. And that's that's where that one started for me because it was an ambush battle and it, and it went terribly wrong for the for the colonial forces. And then things are discovered in in the wilds of the uh, of the deep state. But yeah, our last one brought us much closer to present day. Yes, I sort of based it around the Battle of Cable Street, which is uh, was a, a civil uprising, a civil protest. It was a standing up of the good people against the boot of fascism, Dan. That's what it was. Known as the day that fascism was defeated in Britain. If, if only that were true. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice idea. It's really not very well known outside Britain. I think it's. I think everyone has at least heard of it here. And most people know, you know, they shall not pass no passeran, know that it was, you know, the day that the ordinary East Londoners stood up to Oswald Mosley and his black shirts as they attempted to march through East London. And yeah, that's that proved really, really rich ground. Uh, I, I thought, well, I probably could just write something around this and I really got carried away. So basically, these are an interesting experiment using the dark workings of the arcane horology 
so far four and there'll be more mini scenarios or scenario seeds they're not play tested uh, they are system agnostic but they're there on the patreon and if anyone has a go at them and runs any of them we would love to hear how you get on and then finally another thing we've got up there uh, that we put up just quite recently is a little bit of short fiction uh, which i'm uh, calling lines and lanes um, it's a, a short story I wrote called Lines or the sad tale of Edgar Beecham, uh, which is a mm, story about an Edwardian bachelor that I, I wrote for a, a writing competition. And it was very much inspired by all that M.R. James stuff that Dannon was taking us through at the time. Edgar was a little startled, to say the least, when he received a letter purporting to be from his brother because until that moment, he was not aware he had one. As Edgar Beecham's oldest friend, it falls on me to recount his story, although to do so gives me little pleasure. Forgive the detail with which I colour the tale, it may create the flavour of a fiction, but I assure you that every word is true. The events had been seared on my friend's memory when he reported them to me, and for reasons which will shortly be clear, also became seared on mine. Dear brother, the letter began, in scratchy lines of shaky but beautiful script, it may come as a shock, Rakesh, to hear from me. Of course, Edgar had always known that he was adopted, his caramel skin making it impossible for his parents to pretend otherwise, but he had never inquired into the circumstances of his birth, nor considered that he might once have had another name. Yet here was a brother who, by means of investigation at the Jaipur Adoption Office, had tracked Edgar down. The brother had enclosed a photographic portrait, presumably taken at considerable expense, by means of corroborating evidence. It showed a tall, handsome man with light brown skin and blue eyes, wearing what I supposed to be a traditional kurta. The resemblance to my friend was undeniable. The letter included a most curious request. An astrological chart was to be drawn up for the brother, as a matter of some urgency. One had recently been made by a mystic in Rajasthan, and the results were so disconcerting that he wanted it corroborated using the Western method. The brother being unable, due to debilitating illness, to leave the country, the task was given to Edgar. A name and London address were provided for a Madame Savalescu, who had been highly recommended. Edgar was to provide her with the birth information and payment, which was not insignificant. The brother rightly assumed that if his existence was hitherto unknown to Edgar, then so too would be the relevant date, 29th of April 1863, time, morning, and place, Jodhpur. Edgar, having no reason to disbelieve the letter, and taking pity upon Suraj, for that was the brother's name, agreed to help and sent a telegram the same day to confirm it. My friend could never explain how he came to overlook a critical detail in his brother's correspondence, nor his failure to question its urgency. Perhaps it was his surprise at discovering he had a brother at all, or the immediate intrigue stirred up by the request, but there is no doubt in the mind of your narrator that Edgar was initially quite oblivious to the pertinence of the matter to himself.
you recorded this fantastic story that you wrote. I don't know when you wrote it. The God of Little Lanes. Yeah, well, I, I, I had the idea in my mind uh, and I'd sketched it out. And then we talked about doing some stuff for this in terms of audio content. And we said, maybe we should try some fiction. Um, and I, so I, I took the, the idea back out and I, I completed it, I suppose, in that sense. So it was, it was very much with the apocalypse players in mind. And it was very much with the journey of the, certainly my last four years in mind, because it was about a personal experience here in the place where I live, having moved here relatively recently. Um, and, and, and it, it's always interesting when you have a piece of fiction that is very closely connected to, uh, your your own life and your own and your own sort of sense of experience mm. and it's it's a weird thing because i think gaming you often use it but you don't get to talk about it um uh, whereby like as a character you're imagining you're doing something and you're thinking what have i ever done that's a bit like this Oh, you know, like running down an alleyway. Yeah, I've run down some alleyways, but I've never pulled my Colt 45 out <laughs> and swung around the corner and tried to get the cultist goon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the bit where you go, oh, I don't, I don't know how that would work. And also I'm excited. And so I sort of applied the same logic and went, so the God of Little Lanes is about someone rushing down lanes, but he doesn't have a Colt 45. He probably could have done with one at one point. Samuel Ridmark pushed by the old man and walked down the alleyway ahead deeper into the labyrinth of housing than he had ever gone before. Dimly aware of this cartographic transgression, but apparently unconcerned by its occurrence. It was not like Sam to do such a thing, and after the event, he might have been pushed to explain why he had done it. He had not gone very far when he found a small junction ahead, crossing another lane. He was considering his best course of action when, just then... He was passed by a mother and baby in a buggy. There was no accompanying stillness or extremity of atmosphere. No sound or soundlessness occurred. The lane hummed with life as it had before and as, no doubt, it does now. Yet Sam became somehow acutely aware of a sequence of effects that led him to study both mother and child very carefully. The woman was glacially blonde, with hair the colour of bleached yellow, tall and youthful, she seemed to lack nearly all distinguishing features of femininity, beyond a certain slenderness to her figure and fineness of feature to suggest womanhood. Her eyes were hard and stared forward while her mouth worked at something within, presumably gum. She should, in theory, have been fashionably attractive, but she gave the impression of a skeletal frame a little too near the surface. Sam regretted nearly every moment of this observation, since it was wholly unfair. He had no notions of the woman, except this keenness of effect that had come over him. A eucalyptus tree had cast its bark on the floor around the junction, and the woman drove the buggy over the soft, cracking cylinders as she progressed with a curiously heavy-hipped tread, despite her obvious slenderness. Her midriff was bare and bore no mark of any obvious birth a thought that struck Samuel as very odd. He was not in the habit of studying such things, however. As mother and baby passed, the thing occurred. He looked into the buggy almost casually, and it became abundantly clear that the baby itself was not human. 
It's very much a Lovecraftian. I think if yours was the Jamesian, mine was Lovecraftian. With a touch of, um, I like to think, a, a touch of Arthur Macken is in there. There's a little British weird uh, a nod. But, but it's cont- relatively contemporary in the sense of... I never fixed the date. But it was it was great that you chose that piece. I feel like it, they work as very nicely as companion pieces to each other. A few lines and lanes that combine us. A few lines and lanes, yeah. And connect us. Yeah. And we will. I think we're going to be doing some more of those. Again, it might not be for everyone, but I think it's that important thing is that it's this content that we want to put out there that, that for us interconnects shows process. Yeah. And, and, and definitely, I didn't know that... I was going to be able to sort of respond to lines in that way. Mm. But I think we like to play, you and I like to play with this idea that there can be interconnected ideas. So I deliberately then took something from lines and put it into lanes. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's part of the fun that we can do with our Patreon stuff is that we can, in a, in a more comfortable space, we can go, okay, we'll be using that. I mean, everybody needs to look out for the name Spillsbury in the next... 12 months because i suspect it's going to come back you know these things come back they mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's some of the magic of the patreon is you get they're not just easter eggs they're threads of connectivity for us yeah and it's all about you know what i think you described really early on in our adventures um as the like our creating our own sort of mythos within the mythos mm. yeah and our own little world and i think the the patreon is a really good way in which that's fleshed out oh what a horrible expression but wholly appropriate yeah especially for those anyone who's played a scott dawood scenario (laughs) it's all about the building is being fleshed out the apocalypse player's mansion the cracked and crooked mansion (laughs) is being fleshed out too much flesh oh and sometimes not enough oh nice well, that's a, that's a taste of what what's available on the Patreon at the moment, and uh, you know, we I think we're aware that uh, the the thing that people are probably most excited about is more actual play content, and there's lots of that in the pipeline. In fact, uh, there's something there's a there's a nice treat coming up at Christmas if we can finish playing it and finish editing it. Oh yes, I, I bend my knees, all seven of them those that work in your honour and ask that you place your net by the blacksmiths this evening. But, but uh, I, I need the net for the fish. Yes, but surely, surely the fish will go into the net and also the, the blacksmith must lift a curse that has been placed upon his house by throwing his tools into your net, saving them, and then sneaking them out from the... Why do I have to go through this every time? <laughs> Seven legs? Uh, you, you are the curse. Uh, you, you, you are a demon. Who, who is... Th- he says, pointing in the wrong direction. Who... <laughs> Who is the curse? Am I the curse? Or is it you for overfishing the river? And him for pulling out too much tin from the mountain? And Crotpick itself for choosing to nestle beneath the the gaze of some people? I think I hear the last maybe few sentences of that as I'm outside the hut. Who goes there? Uh, Someone draws clothes. And then you've been talking about something that might come early in the new year. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's lots more actual play content, but there's 
all sorts of other exciting treats as well. So I hope that this little chat has inspired some of you to at least check it out. And the first episode of Night of the Hogmen is available for anyone, uh, whether you're a subscriber or not, but you do have to go to the Patreon page to find it. Uh, so yeah, we hope you enjoy that. And uh, we will be back with normal service next week or the week after. Very soon. Depends. Depends when this goes out. Depends on the horology, I suspect. Arcane or otherwise. It, it absolutely depends on that arcane horology. <laughs> thanks, Joe. Thank you, Dan. And thanks, Podcats. Oh. He <laughs> oh. said Podcats. You can join our Patreon programme from just £2.50 a month. But most of what you've heard on this episode is available from our £5 Apocalypse tier and above. We really do appreciate every offering you lay at the doors of the Cult of the Apocalypse. It all helps us to provide more of what you crave. Our sincerest thanks to everyone who has supported us so far. And for those of you who haven't yet entered the Inner Sanctum, we forgive you, of course. But it's not us you need to worry about, is it?